Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. That's right, Sarah and Wilf, it does. Fast Money starts right now, live as always from the NASDAQ market site. I'm Brian Sullivan, in for Melissa Lee. Your lineup tonight, Pete Nigeria, Tim Seymour, Rebecca Patterson, and Guy Adami. Two big after-hours movers to watch, Micron and FedEx. Of course, both names have been stuck right in the middle of the trade fight. Fracas, we're going to hear what they said Fracus. and how they're yeah. doing. Fracas, Fracas, Fracas. Energy, finding some energy. Oil and gas, one of the best-performing sectors this month. Crude making a comeback, but how much higher can it go? A top oil expert is here to weigh in. All that and more ahead. But as always, let us begin with the markets because if you didn't pay attention all day, well, first, shame on you. Second, it was a wild ride. The Dow finishing up or starting up, then finishing lower. All this because of what else? The Federal Reserve, Fed Chair Jerome Powell and other officials tempering hope somewhat of a rate cut. The Dow and the S&P actually posted their worst days of the month. But it was the NASDAQ and some of your favorite tech stocks that took the brunt of the beating. The FANG, Bitten, Microsoft, Alphabet down 3%, Facebook off 2%. You get the picture. Guy Adam. Yes, sir. Welcome. Mr. Fracas Fracas. <laughs> what do we make of what the action was today? Is that how sensitive this market is to the Fed? It's, that's the rhetorical question, as you know. I mean, it's extraordinarily sensitive, Brian. I think you knew that when you answer, asked the question, and I'll say this as well. The fact that we get to 29.50 again and again and fail, I think is problematic. And we do it when the VIX gets down to 15. Pete can speak to that, which has been levels where the last six to eight months, the market has topped out. I think the market is overestimating the power of the Fed. And I think unless we get a trade deal, which I don't think we're going to get, I think we do roll over at these levels in the S&P. OK, you now you. You just gave a lot of numbers. We're talking about the Fed, but it well, also we do it, here, sounded, Brian. it sounded like you're also <laughs> saying that it's not just the Fed. Technicals are playing some kind of they, a role. Look, I think you have to take them into consideration. I mean, look, this was a level that we topped out at in the fall. We retested it, seemingly topped out again. When the VIX gets down to these levels, it's historically been a level where the broader market sells off from. The Russell hasn't backed up this move to the upside. The transports haven't backed up this move to the upside. Gold continues to rally. All those things to me are warning signs. Tom Seberg, what do you think? Um, yes, Mr. Seberg. Um, look, the bottom line here is I think you've got a dynamic where the expectations for the Fed. I, I think Guy framed it well. Um, uh, it's not that the Fed is not all-powerful. In fact, it's completely the opposite. They are everything right now. And when I hear Bob Kaplan, Dallas Fed, put out a paper talking about the limitations of monetary policy at this point, when I hear Powell step back a little bit, I think he did what he should have done a week ago when, when it looked like the Fed gave us more than we could have possibly expected. Because the bottom line here is I don't think that that's going to help this economy. I do think that getting to neutral and staying there on the Fed is very important. The, the, the most important thing right now remains what we're seeing on macro data. If you look around the world over the last couple of days, it hasn't been good. Hong Kong trade data last night, not so good. Uh, French business confidence, not so good. Following Germany's business confidence. So you name it, bond yields, that's what you should listen to. Having said all that, People want to look at, at double tops and this and that. And, and I, I don't I actually think technicals are very important. Um, I think this is all about the Fed right now. I totally agree. I mean, at this point, we've got four Fed cuts priced in by April next year. Until today, people pricing in 50 basis points at the July meeting. 
What justifies that? Even if we had soft consumer confidence data today, even if we had squishy housing data today, the inflation number is not that far below the Fed's 2% target. The jobs number is soft in May, but that's one month. We know it's a volatile series. So fine, they're letting us know they'll probably give us a 25 basis point cut in July. Probably, not even yeah, guaranteed. Pro- probably, because I'll tell you what, Rebecca, last week, Steve Leisman's survey showed 100%. That's all the percent of people surveyed <laughs> and said we're going to get a rate cut. And we, whenever there's 100% certainty on something, maybe you don't want to be certain. It sounds like you think there's a chance we won't get a cut. Look, if you have, we have a lot of data next week. Next week's going to get interesting again because we'll have the G20 outcome, whatever that is. But then we have a non-farm payroll report on a Friday OPEC, after the 4th Monday of July. OPEC, kind of a yawn Monday, Monday. Yeah. OPEC, we've got uh, manufacturing confidence coming out next week. So there's a lot to chew on and earnings season will come up again. On a short week with, lo- with low volume. Exactly. By the way, we will be doing Fast Money that Friday, July 5th. And I bring that up because I will be here. Just to be clear. Well, I mean, it's a people's vote yeah. of people. It's pretty exciting to be here. It's going to be very exciting, Pete. Come on. There's going to be five guys Tim. in Canada. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for How doing, you? Thanks Look, for doing your job. Yeoman. Yeoman like work. Yeoman like work. Thanks for doing your job, buddy. But it's a great day to be here because without that liquidity, with the jobs number, with the Fed in focus, there's a lot that we need to digest as investors. By the way. Right. I pulled that back for you. You appreciate that. It's great to have Rebecca on the desk for many reasons. I'll push back a little bit. I will. I get it. But here's the thing, Pete. We're going to do this tomorrow on the 5 a.m. show. You're going to be joining us. If it was just our Fed, why is China up? Why is Germany up? Why is Brazil up? Why is gold up? Why is Bitcoin up? A little bit of everything, right? I mean, everything's up and we're all wondering why, especially when you're seeing weakness around the the globe for the most part. So, yeah, it's a great question. I think what we're seeing today and what the reaction was today was not that we're not going to get a cut. And I still think that 100 percent is pretty close to what I would put it at, somewhere very close to 100 percent a cut. Come on. Should we be sure of 100 percent of anything right now? Well, yes, because these guys have basically and Trump has put it out there that we're going to get a cut. Now, I don't think it's 50. I think it's a quarter. So that's the one difference. And I think today that was the shift. The shift was to a quarter. Let's let's step back for one second. Right. Were we down a lot today? Were you just scared to death today when you were looking at the market because we went down 150 points at virtually right off record highs? Absolutely not. This right now is Fed driven and everybody's also looking G20. Everybody wants to know, is there going to be any progress with Xi? So there's a couple other things. I I know you guys keep saying everything's the Fed. It's not everything. It's not everything. Trade is still, to me, much bigger than the Fed. I think red is more powerful than green, sort of from a narrative perspective Mm. sometimes. Wow, that's that's deep. But we are are in the middle of our best June in 70 years. 1955. You know, I just did the And we're down 100 points or so something today. So that's really, holy smokes, that's really terrible. This has been a pretty spectacular month for Mm -hmm. equity. If we get up, if we move up every day. Shouldn't that, when we be, that's when we should be nervous. Right? Yes, yes, absolutely. No, I, I, look, we've had a huge rally in June coming off of May. Low yields have definitely helped that, right? People are expecting better numbers out of housing and other interest rate sensitive sectors. The housing data today gave people a little bit of pause around that story. Um, I think with the consumer confidence today, we know that data follows equities. So the fact that May was bad for equities, consumer confidence, not a shock. What's important from that number today is the jobs plentiful, hard to get. So that little number inside that data point softened quite a bit. 
And that's important because it's another data point to put together with payrolls just to make us say, okay, we need to keep a close eye on the labor market. Manufacturing soft, we understand that. If the service sector and the consumer get soft as well, then we have a problem. And, 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 and really quick, I think it's important because if you if you look at where we're starting to see deterioration in labor, it's, it's in the European Union, which has been the one labor market we needed to get stronger. Um, and the Fed's comments on inflation, they have to, where they were getting some 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 pressure was from wages, and that's disappeared as well. So it's interesting. I mean, I'm with Pete. I think that, I think the G20 is really important. I think a China trade deal is really important. I just don't think it's going to happen. Right. I think we're sort of getting strung along. And quite frankly, if I were the Chinese, I'd do the same thing. If you really want to take a step back and, and view it from, from the prism that they look through. And in terms of the Fed, you know, the president talks about all the time, this is the greatest economy in the history of the republic. <laughs> he said, not my words, and maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not an economist. But if that is the case, why are we even contemplating... Forget about inflation, because he's trying to neutralize it out against the rest of the but, world. You know, that's, that's, that would be his statement. Because the ECB and, and Super Mario Draghi have hit us over the head that they will either yes. A, be cutting, B, and what's doing that bond what, buying, or C, What's all that done above, for right? those economies, though, right. Brian? I mean, exactly. what, what we've but seen here. Point, but Trump it, has been mad about currency issues. And his whole point is, I think your point is correct, and your point is correct, which is you got to balance it out. If they're going to cut... But what, but because it, you don't want to see the dollar the get stronger, guy. Of course you do. You buy things. No, Rebecca buys things. I, Pete buys. I know I buy I things. Do, but our administration you, I, I understand that. But for I years, buy. it's a, a stronger dollar stuff, policy. You know, the madness is if everybody's <laughs> driving themselves into the gutter, why follow them? This is an opportunity to strengthen our underlying economy. Might be painful for the market, but it would do wonders for the economy. I'm voting Adami 2020. He's got an eagle on his shoulder. He's got an eagle. That might be a pigeon. No, I'm look, not sure. I, I, let's broaden it out. Rebecca, here's the thing, though. Uh, hold on. I want to expand it. We yes, talked we, about technology, the fanning stocks, bit, and all this stuff. What does Google have to do with the Fed? What does Microsoft have to do with the Fed? They were down 2 and 3% today. I, I understand our broader perspective. What does Alphabet care about right. interest rates? You know, I know this show is fast money, so we're talking about what's happening now, but I would take a step back from this and say, if you think we're going to continue to look for companies that can grow organically, if the trade war gets worse, global growth slows further, I want companies that are doing something interesting, whether it's biotech, whether it's technology, that can grow on their own. And so I'd say if you have a day like this, you're probably looking at an opportunity. You know what? I got, you just made some- I'm going to drop some genius on this show. You're welcome, producers. We need a segment on this show called, called what? Pump the Brakes. Where once, once a segment, people like Rebecca come Hold in back. with some wisdom and they slow it down a little bit. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Don't want to slow it down too much. Guy, no, what were the brakes like on your IROC Z? You don't have to pump the brakes anymore because of new cars, when you put your oh, foot on the brakes, they have the... In the old days, he's a car guy. Sixty-eight. Can, can, can we? No, talk? that's a good statement. Go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. When I'm he's not an Uber, he's being driven around in a limo. No, I'm I'm not I drove my Jeep into the Port Authority. 2001 right. Tahoe. It is not all bad, despite the trade fight. Mike on reporting earnings moments ago. Some investors they seem to love it. Let's go out to Josh Lippin in San Francisco with more on Micron. Josh. So, Brian, you know, uh, Micron obviously had been hit hard. The stock was down uh, since its intraday high in early April, heading into this print. And a primary reason uh, was Huawei and fallout from the Trump administration uh, blacklisting that tech giant. It's an important uh, Micron customer, makes up about 13 percent of their revenue. Uh, Right off the top of that call, quickly, the CEO addressed that concern. Take a listen to what he told analysts. Micron immediately suspended shipments to Huawei and began a review of Micron products sold to Huawei 
to determine whether they are subject to the imposed restrictions. Through this review, we determined that we could lawfully resume shipping a subset of current products. We have started shipping some orders of those products to Huawei in the last two weeks. However, there is considerable ongoing uncertainty surrounding the Huawei situation, and we are unable to predict the volumes or time periods over which we'll be able to ship products to Huawei. So pretty interesting there. The CEO saying, listen, um, we reviewed the export ban and found that we could lawfully resume shipping at least some products to Huawei. Although he also said, listen, if Huawei remains on this export ban, this blacklist in fiscal 2020, uh, there would be an impact, he's telling analysts. Uh, more fundamentally, he's saying uh, 2019, a challenging year for Micron and the markets they serve. Near term, there is some uncertainty, but also said they are seeing these early signs of demand improvement. Uh, as for the outlook, Q4, they're looking for about 45 cents on roughly $4.5 billion. And you can see the stock moving sharply higher now in the after hours. Brian, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you very much. Okay, I mean, guys, so here's the thing. Micron, Micron, is, Micron is still down 40% mm-hmm. over 12 months, up 9 or 10% right now in the after hours. Tim Seymour, are you a believer in Micron, or is this a short covering bounce after hours in what has been a depressed and depressing story for the better part of a well, year? Well, again, within the chip space, you know, you, there's a lot of different discussions about Micron and how commoditized they are, what's really going on with DRAM, what's really going on with some of the, the core part of their business, um, relative to the S&P, as you said, down 45% year over year. So it, this move and this pop after the bell, and there was a, a kind of an exaltation to my right, I believe. Um, so someone's happy about it. And yeah. I think I think the, the bottom line here is this is uh, about expectations. These guys, first of all, they came in, they beat, they guided better. Uh, the expectations are that these guys are in for uh, a bit of a long winter in the middle of the summer, and that's not what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's a stock that the average 27 analysts cover it. The average rating is a buy with a price target just under 42. And they should be. This is 10 bucks, ma- this, 10 bucks above where this is. This is a stock that notoriously gets too cheap. But there's still an opportunity where you've got to wait and wait for that opportunity to present itself. Is well, now it, that time? It recently had. Matter of fact, I bought the stock not that long ago. And it was, it was virtually based upon the options that were coming in, sort of looking ahead and trying to read through all the tea leaves of all the rest of the semis that have put out some of the information, some of them not so good. This was an unbelievable report. That was crushing of the earnings. That was a a nice beat on the revenues. And like Tim says, you start to put out a little bit more guidance, and obviously it's still a little murky. It's not totally clear. There's still issues with Huawei. But these numbers, Brian, were were pretty phenomenal they put up. And if they can even get close to these numbers that they're projecting going forward, look at what the PE is. Look at this company and the potential that exists there. I own stock. I sell calls. That's exactly what this stock is made for because – we talk about implied volatility all the time, and, and Guy referred to me a little while ago when he was talking about the VIX. The VIX is low. Let's just talk about it. VIX is low at 15. Implied volatility of the FANG stocks is very high, which gives you that opportunity. If you own Facebook, sell calls against it. You own any of the FANG stocks right now, you have great implied volatilities there where you can sell against it. Micron's not a FANG stock, but that fit in as well, where you're getting dollars in premium to be able to sell upside against the long position in the stock. The, the fat, Rebecca, the fact that the VIX is at 15, given that tankers are being blown up in the Straits of Hormuz, drones are being shot down, the rhetoric has gone up. We got G20, we got the trade fight, we got the the potential for Brexit, and yet VIX is at 15. Because of central banks, because of Mr. Draghi, because of Mr. Powell, because of the The market has a bodyguard standing behind it. It believes in that. And the question I have is, do they believe in it too much? I do think we'll get easing, especially if the global economy softens further and inflation's still low. But... 
it's so priced in. You have so much easing already priced in. This weekend, we're going to have an EU meeting, European Union meeting. They're going to talk about Draghi's successor. What if we get Jans Weidmann coming in? We get a hawkish. It's a hawkish German who might not be as easy as Who's Mr. That? Draghi. It's a hawkish German. A hawkish German. That's impressive. You have an issue with hawkish Germans? <laughs> Uh, so real quick, Jan, in terms so of Jan's Weidman looks yeah, like he's going to be the new Draghi. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a great. I mean, it's, this is why she's here. Well, especially because You're Germany right. historically was the, the 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 hawkish one across the European Union that wasn't giving the ECB any room to angle. And in fact, the ECB, according to many people, saved Europe from itself in the summer yeah, of July they, 15. Okay, I'm not. This is not a black swan Weidman. Maybe he's a black forest event. We oh, should say. Oh, you see what, what I did there? Did there. Yeah, Jan's Weidman. Nice. So these Very are the kind clever. of things that we need to watch but for. But this matters, right? It does matter. Even if you only own U.S stocks this matters because if you see Europe continuing to go down, the biggest source of revenue for U.S. companies outside of our country is Europe. It's going to hurt the multinationals. She's, she's spot on. I'm so happy she's here. And quick, back to Micron quickly. Pete's right. They absolutely beat revenue and they absolutely beat on EPS and the margins were better. Those three things are great, but then sort of take a quick look. And this is why valuation does matter. Revenue, DRAM revenue is 64% of overall revenue down 45% year-over-year, 45% year-over-year. NAND, which is 31% of overall revenue, down 25% year-over-year. That's pretty devastating. But the question is, is it reflected in the price at $32? And this quarter, it appears as though that's the case. So I don't think it's going back to 45 but I think you can make a pretty cogent argument that it rallies another 10% or so from where it is All right now. All semis are just Micron. This is Micron. Micron I know, but do you think opinion. the SMH, which we showed, do you Agreed. believe that some semiconductors could maybe jump on this? Well, you're going to no. see. I'm sure if I looked right now, I haven't looked. I'm sure Intel is higher in a knee-jerk reaction. But this, to me, is a very Micron-specific uh, report. Okay. Now, a fast look at other earnings movers as we head to break. FedEx is higher off its numbers. The conference call kicking off in the next 15 minutes or so. Remember, the company last night announcing a lawsuit against the United States over its handling of Huawei. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, oil at the helm of geopolitical tensions. But one top energy watcher says a key event next week could send the commodity surging. Mike Bradley of Tudor Pickering & Holt is here. And later, biotech M&A heating up a $60 billion deal today. There's Pete Nigerian. He says there's one name in the space that could be the next breakout stock. He'll give you his fast pitch. We are live, as always, from Times Square. And there's much more fast right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
All right, welcome back. Fast food stocks in focus on fast money. They bucked the trend today. You got McDonald's, Starbucks, Chipotle all in the green after Credit Suisse initiated these names with a mouthwatering outperform rating. And that I got that is your call of the day. These stocks have been hot this year. Chipotle up 70 percent. Starbucks and McDonald's, they're trading near all all time highs. Are these a safe haven? Tim, well, safe for, haven, redundant, by for, the way. For a long time, we were actually talking about those that had growth in far-flung parts of the world, notably China, and certainly McDonald's was one of those names. But really, the story of McDonald's has been about U.S. same-store sales. And, and then just a re-engineering of both the brand and in terms of technology and kiosks and the quality of the food. So uh, the multiple... Very demanding relative to itself, not demanding relative to its peer group. And then all you need to do is look at a Chipotle, which to me trades at an absurd valuation. And I've been so wrong on this stock, um, it's important to bring it up over and over again. Because to me, sometimes the valuations, if the company and the margin base and the direction of the management team is where it's supposed to be, it's going higher. Shake Shack's another one that Credit Suisse initiated. I think a $77 price target. You talk about valuation, that's probably trading close to, if not more than 100 times forward earnings. But you know what? Maybe Maybe the growth Randy rate Giroud justifies it. I mean, mm-hmm. And so we've talked about I actually worked there one day, Brian. You might actually remember. It was a great day for me. I actually think there's a real good <laughs> Have you chance. Have at every fast food? Yes. I mean, seriously, you've worked at Domino's. You've worked, worked at Domino's. You at the Hut ever? I, I, Pizza the Hut. And this was research? This was research. Uh-huh. And I did a great job. They actually wanted me to stay for a while. Go figure, Brian. Why are you looking at me like that? I mean, don't look at me. That's not nice. That makes me feel insecure. Look, there he is. There he is. Look at him. Do you have a right? I think it's, listen, I'm always in favor of getting boots in the ground. Shake Shack's like, going higher. I, like I don't care about it. the valuation. I just, no, I'm, I'm shaking my head because I don't know how, shaking my head. I don't know how you're comparing Shake Shack valuation with McDonald's. One has got I 70 million did, stores. Did you hear me the other say one's McDonald's? got about 70. Did you hear me and the say McDonald's? Trajectory is I didn't higher. say McDonald's. Do you hear me say McDonald's? I valuation. I'm going to give I you a comparison, that. however, that, that's direct. Dunkin' and Starbucks. Right now, Starbucks, when you look at where that's trading versus Dunkin', Dunkin's far cheaper, and they still have Who's growth. Darkin? In front, Dunkin'. In front of them, they still got growth in front of them when you talk about the West Coast, where they don't have them enough exposure. So trading at 28, 29 times versus 36, 37 times for Starbucks, I think that's an opportunity. Both are at 52-week highs. Why? Because when coffee prices go up, they raise the price. Mm-hmm. They never bring the way, it down when coffee as, goes as we down. Have coffee never, prices, coffee ever, prices. Ever. Glad you mentioned it. Yeah. At thirty-year lows. Yeah, no coffee kidding. Coffee prices just off a of thirty. What I do lows. for a living, bro. All right. For more on the big analyst bro, calls of the day, honest, you can go to CNBC.com, where you are watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. I love gold. That's what the traders are saying, and someone just made a million-dollar bet. The rally is just getting started. We'll break it down. Plus, doctor, doctor, give me the news. Biotech M&A is heating up the space, and Dr. Nigerian has one name that could be in the waiting room for the next big breakout. Find out what that is when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more Fast Money right after the break. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi. A Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Crude oil rallying 10% this month. Geopolitical tensions in the Middle East rising. You got tanker attacks. You got drone attacks. You've got increased rhetoric with Iran, new sanctions, and export sanctions. That move sending energy stocks higher. It's one of the best performing sectors for June, but been terrible over the last 12 months. With these new sanctions on Iran and an OPEC meeting in Vienna next week, will this crude comeback continue? Michael Bradley is a strategist at Tudor Pickering and Holt. He joins us now. From Houston, Mike, you and I got to stop meeting like this, talking about oil. I think here's the most amazing thing about oil, is that given what we just talked about, given Venezuela's rolling collapse, that we're still only at 57 bucks and change in the United States. Is that simply because of Permian production? Well, I think it's a combination of two or three things. First of all, it's really demand. Really, demand stats over the last couple weeks and months, as you know, have, have really rolled lower. And that's just pressing on crude oil prices. From a supply standpoint, U.S. Uh, crude bills have been massive over the last, say, two months or so. Typically, over the last two months, you get flattish builds. It's been a, a build of almost 40 million barrels. And so those are huge counter-seasonal builds. So that's kind of weighed on it. And then just recently, let's say about a week, week and a half ago, the IEA came out with a... <coughs> You know, their monthly oil report, and it showed second half of demand going lower and 2020 demand going lower as well, with supply going higher. So it's just a lot of those confluence of events have just weighed on crude oil at this point in time. Yeah, because I can remember a day, Michael, not that long ago, when if we had tankers being blown up, we had conflict with Iran, the talk about U.S. military ships escorting super tankers through the Strait of Hormuz, you could have seen a 10 or 15 percent pop in a day in oil. Now you got 12 and a half million barrels a day in the Permian that is effectively risk-free. I mean, risk-free from a geopolitical perspective. Has Have the days of extreme volatility maybe come to an end? Um, you're going to still have extreme volatility, but we're just, at, you know, we're at one right now, one extreme. Uh, and and you're, you're right. U.S. production is such that, uh, you know, volatility is going to be lower over time. Uh, you know, I think the issue with the U.S. Uh, production is, I mean, most people are dialing a million barrels a day in U.S. production in, into infinity, and that's just not going to be the case. I mean, we see at Tudor Pickering over the next couple of years that, you know, production, you know, from the U.S. shales and U.S. production in general is going to be slowing down from that million uh, barrel a day rate down to probably something in the six to 800,000 barrels a day. And so that's, you know, that's a good thing. The issue right now is just demand is just looks so bad that people don't even want to look at anything else. And so from that standpoint, the volatility has been all to the downside. So um, appreciate all the points. You know, how much is the demand slowdown priced in at this point in your view? And secondly, one thing we haven't talked about yet are just summer seasonals. You know, we got hurricane season coming up or started already. We have driving season. Does that matter anymore? How big an influence is that? No, I think the uh, three biggest events that are going to matter right now is, so you know, at the end of this week, the G20, what happens there? I mean, if we have a positive event there, that's going to take, a, you know, put a little, a little bit of a premium back into the market. The second is obviously the OPEC meeting coming up on July 1st. I think consensus is that, you know, there's going to be a rollover of uh, uh, cuts, roughly 1.2 million barrels a day. And, and so to us, that's the main thing that's going to be uh, an issue out there. 
And now I think near term, we're a little bit more positive on crude oil, more so than consensus, simply because we do see U.S. crude inventories beginning to decline over the next couple months. Yeah. And so that's going to be a positive catalyst. You know, and, 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 and secondarily, everyone's looking at demand being lower. We're looking at the Fed, you know, both domestically as well as globally. They're going to be lowering rates and probably pretty dramatically. And so that's going to be a stimulus. Uh, and so no one's really taking that into account. Everyone's looking at the bad demand numbers. And, you know, if these guys are successful, then you're going to see 2020 demand improve in, uh, in, in, you know, in 2020. Yeah. And when the Fed cut rates at 95, Mike, oil prices effectively doubled. So there's a Fed aspect very quickly is the biggest risk to oil not OPEC, not Iran, not that. It is debt, debt levels in the premium. Is that a major risk? Because if oil remains in the mid to low 50s, you're going to start to see some of these weaker companies go bankrupt. Yeah, you've already saw, you know, Weatherford went bankrupt earlier this year. And, you know, the one good thing about the, you know, uh, the equity market right now, the energy equities, is that, you know, debt levels are not as bad as they were several years ago. A lot of EMPs have gotten the debt levels back into, sh- you know, pretty good shape. And so, you know, they can live with oil, you know, lower oil prices. I think the area you have to you know, worry about is you know, more of the oil service companies. You know, one of the things we've been talking about for a long time at Tudor Pickering is just return of capital, free cash flow. You know, as you know, these EMP companies have been in a, in a spend, you know, growth at all costs type mode. And they're going to be going into a free cash flow, return of capital type mode. And, and the first return of that capital is just going to be debt pay down. The second thing is going to be paying dividends. So... That's just a net negative for oil service uh, companies over time. So I think those companies, the deep water drillers, those are where the leverage is higher. Those are the most expe- you know, exposed. So I don't expect the EMP stocks. That's going to be a big issue, except for the guys that are a little bit smaller cap and a little bit more highly levered. Michael Bradley at TPH. Always great insight, Mike. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Guys, If you know, on my screens here, I've got all the oil stocks broken down by region, Permian, Bakken, whatever it is. They're down 50 40, 60% in the last 12 months, Rebecca, it has been an indecimation of investor capital in energy. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you've got global trade slowing down, global manufacturing slowing down. If you have less production and you have less global trade, what do you need less of? Energy, oil, to move the stuff, to make the stuff. So that doesn't shock me, frankly. And I worry about one thing he talked about that I thought was really important is the debt levels on some of these companies, not all of them, but some of them, and playing that into the high yield space. So Mike talked about, certainly for the Permian and and really all the U.S. shale and alternative plays, it's all about return of capital, not return on capital. These companies are being run differently. Ultimately, that's a great thing for investors. Right now, it's clearly a proved-to-me story. OIH, in terms of oil services, has underperformed the S&P by 50% in the last 12 months. I still think this is, all we've done is talk about supply. I still think this is a demand story, and I still think the dollar, which has been weaker um, is actually not your friend because if anything I think the dollar catches a bit in a safe haven all the charts by the way in oil the 50 the 200 and and the you know the 100 day moving averages are pointing down for the first time in nine months not good so Exxon and Chevron both trade probably at trough valuations relative to where they should be, 13 and a half times. But you look at ConocoPhillips, which I think over the fall, the market was concerned maybe they're going to make an acquisition they shouldn't make. I think some of those fears have been assuaged. $59 was the level we traded down to in December. Seemingly have held that now. Trades cheaper than both Chevron and Exxon. So for a trade against 59 bucks, 
I think COP is really interesting. Right? You know, I think what it held support near 51 was the key for WTI, though. We saw that. Everybody talked about it, and it did, Brian. And it made it this massive move to the upside in a very short period of time. I think right now you've got to take your chips back off the table and wait and see, do we test that $51 level again? But if you still want to be in something, uh, a stock I pitched a while back was KMI. I love this name. Kinder I continue Morgan. to love this Pipeline. name. And by the way, who keeps buying his own stock back? Richard Rich Kinder, Kinder. That's who's the richest man in Texas, the richest I think, or one of. And, and, and by the way, what? that's not an even oil and gas company. I mean, no, it's, it's pipelines. It's, 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 yes. it's a toll taker. It's a toll taker is what it is. You know, and, ching, and, ching, 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 ching. Listen, just not forget, just OPEC quick tease. The OPEC meeting is next Monday and Tuesday. We'll see if they keep that 1.2 million barrel a day production cut deal. It's going to be very contentious. you got Iran there. Yep. There's a lot going on there. Venezuela. And we're going to be there as well. So we'll be there covering it live. Come on. Nice. Giddy. Yeah. I will be there. Big dog. I will be there in the stairwell. All right. FedEx, volatile. After its earnings report, the conference call kicking off now. The company last night suing the United States government over Huawei. We talk more about FedEx up 2%. Plus, healthcare and biotech lagging the market this year. But Pete says there's one name that is ready to break out. You're going to get his fast pitch. And we want to see if you're buying into I don't know what that was, but we're back after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Another big biotech deal on Wall Street today. AbbVie announcing a $63 billion acquisition for Botox maker Allergan. Shares of AbbVie falling double digits while Allergan surged more than 25%. This is the second largest biotech deal this year. Is this just the beginning, perhaps, of a larger consolidation in the biotech space, Guy Adam? Yeah, I think it, I think it absolutely is. And I, don't th- I think the Bristol-Celgene thing, we've said it for a while, it's not going to happen. But every time you get negative headlines along those ways and Celgene gets sold off, in my opinion, Pete might agree with this, I think it's a huge opportunity. So any weakness, in my opinion, in Celgene should be bought, not because they're going to get bought, but because on valuation, in terms of the pipeline, the stock is too cheap. Here's what I'll say about biotech, because we, we've talked about biotech for two and a half years, and we could have talked about cheap balance sheets. We could have talked about M&A catalysts. We could have talked about companies that basically had expiring pipelines. We could have talked about companies, and again, I'd probably be talking about the, the IBB. So I'd be talking about the essentially the heavily weighted top six or seven names, uh, biggest market caps in biotech. Uh, the problem here is I think that every time everybody thinks there's going to be more M&A, it's a hangover for the entire sector, and it becomes a difficult sector to invest in. And I I think that's exactly what we have here. Is it better, Rebecca, just to buy? And sometimes you can make an argument you want to pick stocks, not just buy ETFs. But in biotech, you're so reliant on a roll of the dice for a headline, right? You, you have one drug, and if it doesn't work, the stock falls 70%. If it does mm. work, it doubles. Mm. There's definitely, well, it's a volatility play, right? Volatility. So we should be looking at options there. Yeah. But. But I do think biotech, there's a lot to a lot to chew on beyond the drugs. You've got the device makers. You've got a lot of service sector companies that you can look at to expand your horizon. So, no, I still think active. Device makers kind of a trade fight play, though. A lot of that stuff is made in China. Some of it. Some of it. I think there's an active management play to, to, to do there. Okay. If you are looking for a way to participate in the biotech space, Mr. Pete Nigerian says one name is about to break out. All right, so why don't you head now? You know how it works. I'm heading over. I'm starting to walk. Go to the plasma, do your plasma, do the pitch, and then we're going to shoot it down. Biogen. Yeah, they shoot it down every single time, so I don't know why the heck I pitch it, although these happen to work. Take a look at Biogen. This one's been very, very interesting. Now, we're going to get to why it's trading where it is right now, but first of all, management. 
great management team. And by the way, new CEO came over from Merck, has been done, doing an, a great, great job so far, but he also stumbled into Biogen right ahead of why they fell down. We're going to get into that in a second. So down 40%. Well, why is that? Well, if you go back into March and you look, the Alzheimer's results and the fact that they yanked that whole system, that drug, they were trying to push for Alzheimer's. They thought they were there. Apparently, it was priced into the stock. A lot of people say, I don't know that it was. I think this is a huge overreaction. So they've been selling that stock and they sold it down from way close towards that 400 levels down to the levels that it is right now. This stock is very, very cheap. Well, look at the fundamental story here. They put off $6 billion in cash a year. Four billion of that they're buying back their own shares. They don't have a dividend, but when you look at this trading at a 10 PE right now, this stock is just too cheap in my opinion. So I think there is a great opportunity there. Oh, and by the way, their earnings growth right now is sitting at about 15% annually for the last five years. Their revenue growth is about 9% in that same time frame. So this is a company that's got a lot of great things going on fundamentally. They're focusing still on MS, but they're actually expanding, and they've got four different drugs right now in phase three, one of them for ALS. That could be huge. There's a huge industry out there. And by the way, these guys could make an acquisition at some point if they'd like to because they have a great balance sheet. All right, anybody have a question for Pete before we vote? Pete, ultimately, the question here, though, is about either additional M&A in the sector. Do you see these guys getting outflanked by somebody, or or what do you do with that balance sheet right now based upon the setup we've had even today? Yeah, if if I'm them right now, I'm not going to actually buy somebody. I think already, Tim, they've already got a decent pipeline. It trades really inexpensively. They are throwing off a lot of cash, so if they decided to maybe pull back on buying some of their stock and decided to buy somebody instead... I'd love to see it be a smaller player. I'd like to see like what Pfizer did. They made an $11 billion deal. I don't like these big mega deals, yeah. the 53 and $63 billion type deals. I think those are too big. They're too clunky. They're too difficult to manage. And I'd rather see them, if they make a deal, do a much smaller deal, $10 billion or less. Okay, guys, no more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Pete's big pitch? On Biogen, Tim Seymour. Um, I'm afraid that, Pete, you know, I have to be consistent with what I said. I think the company is very cheap, but I'm probably a seller here because I think the sector is probably sideways at best. Mm. Sideways at best. All right, Rebecca Patterson. Well, I'm not allowed to talk about single stocks because of my position at my firm. However, I would like to give Pete props. Just give me a vote for Great delivery. I'm just a buyer of Pete. Great. Appreciate it, Rebecca. You're the best. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm, I'm... I have trouble with the English language, so I struggled there for a while, but I finally... Fracas. No, it's not wah, 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 yeah. wah. It's too cheap is what it says, That's a which vote means for it's Pete. a vote for Pete. We've said this for a while. Traded down to 225. Nice Alzheimer's is the holy grail. Nobody's close. Biogen has other things going on. It's a cheap valuation historically. It has rallied. I think it will continue to do so. 11 and a half PE now. Good pitch. Pedro. Nice. 11.5p now going down to 7.7 if prices stay the same. Single-digit valuations. Nice vote for Pete's sake. Guy, Rebecca, Tim, thank you very much. All right, well, the desk has spoken. (laughs) Now it is your turn. Go to our Twitter page at CNBC Fast Money. You can cast your votes. We're going to reveal the final results later on in the show. Plus, gold glistening today at its highest level in six years. That has got options traders piling into gold. I'll tell you which way, though, they see it heading, and it might surprise you. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The gold rush on again. Gold skyrocketing in June, up nearly 10%, even as stocks sit near all-time highs. 
And options traders are betting on gold's summer rally to shine on. Dan Nathan is in San Francisco with your options action. Dan. Wow. Hey, hey, Sully. Yeah, so call volume today was two times that of puts on a day that uh, GLD, the ETF that tracks the shiny metal, um, gapped up. It didn't close particularly great. It closed towards the lows here. But there was one trade that really caught my eye. It was uh, when the, the ETF was trading 134.79. A trader rolled up a bullish bet, selling out of the July 12th weekly 10,134 calls and buying 10,000 of the July 12th weekly um, 136.40 call spread and paying 95 cents for that. So that trader is looking for a break even up at 136.95 and possibly as high as 140 over the next couple of weeks. And what's interesting, Sully, like you said, this thing is up 10% in the last month and it's breaking out. We have a one-year chart right here. You know, it went on a runaway breakout here, but really to get a sense for that breakout, look at the 10-year. It's approaching um, levels that it has not not seen in five or six years. And here's one more chart. I think this is a really important chart. Peter Bookvar, friend of, uh, friend of Fast Money, posted this chart yesterday. This is the price of gold and how correlated it is with negative yielding um, interest rates or, or, or debt around the globe here. Obviously very well correlated. You see what gold is doing that as we see NERP taking over sovereign debt here. Um, so this one, kind of interesting, a trader rolling up a little bit, playing for some more upside. And I just got to say one more thing, by the way, Pete Nigerian, I voted against your Biogen already. Of course already. you did. I've never seen you be a bull in your entire <laughs> life. You've been wrong each time on these, by the way. So giddy up, big boy. I, I, that was a beautiful chart, though, from Peter Bookfar. Yeah. The NERP trade. You're yeah, going to MAGA, make America gold again. Yeah. Pete, Pete Nigerian, what do you think about gold? Well, I'm with Dan. As a matter of fact, it started in late May. They started buying this GLD. It was trading 120. Now it's trading up towards 135. I mean, they have been buying, 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 buying. This is 16 different times we've seen bullish activity. 14 coming in today, another two today. So very aggressive buying in gold. I think you got to stick with that trade. And, and I've absolutely spread it off if you have to. But it's not just GLD. GDX, GDXJ, a lot of the various names. I think you can play it any way you want right now. You're going to be a winner. You know, Brian, it, it's an absolute honor to work with all the good people at CNBC. I would, you know, I can say that with all sincerity. But, you know, some people reach a certain pinnacle where they actually have a graphic made with their picture in it. Dan Nathan has reached that pinnacle. Look at that right there. Whoa. Dan's MAGA trade. Isn't that fantastic? Are you just, you don't have one. You don't have one. Well, I hope to get there someday. Well, you're, when I've been I'm around saying, as long Dan as you has and Dan. made it, I have not. So I'm in the pantheon, huh, guy? So the you, pantheon. you reached the part. But Dan, we want you to know that the hat was blue. <laughs> kind of the whole idea, bud. We're making acronyms great again. The hat was blue. Dan Nathan on the gold <laughs> trade there. Guy Adami. Gold's like going that. higher. Gold gold's is going, going higher. We've been saying you that for months. You know gold, too. How We've about this? We've been saying it from a gold's not a story until it is. You're going to walk in. I said this to Melissa Lee, who is typically here every night. She's on vacation. I said, Mel, you're going to walk in one day, and gold's going to be up $100. You're going to look at me and say, what's going on? Do you fade? I said, no. And the next day, it's going to be up 100 again. Mark my words, that day is coming, Brian Sullivan. Fair enough. Dan, are you here. surprised that Bitcoin and gold are also going up together? Is this a dollar trade? 
He just left. I think you lost it, Dan. He so thought you had good buy. I jump in there. Going I don't think it is door. a dollar trade. Vietnamese restaurant I, next door. Look, the, the, <laughs> the, chart, the great chart before from Peter Buckfar is amazing. But it, remember, it only goes back to 2015. This is not a long time series, but I think it is a relevant one. We're seeing yields around the world go lower. Gold has no yield. So when the opportunity cost for owning gold goes down, global yields are down, gold is relatively more attractive. That trend isn't going away. Well, not only does gold, Rebecca, but not only does gold, put that chart back up if we can, the NERP, negative interest rate policy. $13 trillion, by the way, in sovereign debt now negative around the world. Mm Gold not only doesn't have a yield, it often has a carrying cost. Right. Gold is expensive to own. It's like a negative yielding bond in a way. Yeah. So and central. Why would it go up then when yields are negative? Well, you know what we call that central tango. That's a good one. We used to, yeah. Just so saying. central banks are buying again. Central banks, when they start diversifying their reserves, adding to gold, that trend tends to be sticky. It's going to last for a bit. The parking spot at the Port Authority I pulled into, guy was so tight, I had to do a backwardation. No! For more options actions, be sure to tune in to our live show every Friday at 5.30 Eastern Time. Coming up, check out shares of FedEx moving higher in the back of its earnings report. We're going to tell you what Wall Street is saying about the results. Frank Holland, who was on WEX this morning. Come on. Back with us. Stick around. All right, we got an earnings alert on FedEx. Up a little more than a percent in the after-hours trade. Frank Holland, I'm not the only one to attend the hard way, buddy. <laughs> hey, Brian, the FedEx earning call is going on right now. CEO Fred Smith saying this just a short time ago about global trade. Take a listen. Global trade disputes and low global growth rates create significant uncertainty for the express business, leading us to be cautious in projecting FY20 earnings for this segment. The integration of TNT is now progressing at a good clip, and we will see significant benefits by this time in summer 2021. So the company not giving hard numbers for fiscal year 2020 guidance, but says it expects EPS to decline mid-single digits from this year. The forecast has express margins lower after the decision not to renew a customer contract. That appears to be Amazon, a decision they announced earlier this month. We spoke with David Vernon from Bernstein. Here's what he had to say. Quarter itself, it seemed okay. The guidance is for lower earnings for next year, which the market has been pricing in. We also heard from Deutsche Bank. They say the company needs to execute a clear strategy or or they believe that this stock is going to be neutral from here on. Brian, back over to you. All right, Frank, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Frank, thank you very much. All right, let's trade this, guys. FedEx. I'll I'll trade it for you. Here's here's the issue. The problem is that the revenues were more or less flat, but profits were down 15% in in express and ground. Um, And I think the company, after two consecutive quarters of disappointments, um, I think I, th- I think Fred Smith is fantastic, but I think they have a bit of a credibility issue uh, to overcome, even though this is one of the great companies in the world, and actually I think it's very cheap here. I got two words for you there, Sully. You want them or you want to guess? Relief rally. That's what this is. It's you a relief that. rally. That guidance was, yes, the market was looking for atrocious. They got it. Relief rally is selling. You know, I think this is a great case where the micro affects the macro. You look at the, at the lawsuit against the government, you look at what's going on global manufacturing. Yep. Yes, it's priced in. Yes, the stock's cheap, but it's telling you where the world's going. Global manufacturing is going to slow further. And, and FedEx has been doing this for and, three quarters. By the way, I got Amazon people delivering packages now, private citizens in yellow vests coming and delivering. What are they right? delivering to you? Whatever it is. All right. Up next. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> open the box. Up next. Final trades. Boom. 
You know why Pete always seems so high on life? Why, and posts Brian? those goofy yeah. sayings to Twitter Whatever. every morning? No, because not America goofy. is buying his pitch for Dude, exactly. I'm almost disappointed. It's the time of his life. Holy cow. Sell it now. Nice job. They're going to be right. What's Bye up with your brother and his weird coffee memes on Instagram? I don't anyway, know. I'm Mr. Trade. Coffee, not John. Let's, I'm Joe DiMaggio. Let's go around the horn. I'm going to give you a K-Web. Giddy up. Internet of China. This is going to go higher. They bought calls today. They were right last time. They're right again. Tim Seymour, We spent some time talking fangs. How about this, the fangs of Asia? Alibaba kicking. Hey. She's doing just fine. Right, right, Rebecca K-Web. Patterson, who did a great job. Yeoman's effort by her. She had to speak Yo to woman. a hawkish German on a conference call. That hawkishness. Jans Wiedermann. Jans but I'd say what, Shake Shack, I had 77 price target. I'm in that camp there, Brian. Will you sing with that? Shake Shack, Nugget. Great job. Nugget. Thanks, right. Brian. Thanks for being by, here. By the way, that does it for us here in Fast Money again, maybe forever. Hope we'll see you tomorrow. Whoa, Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.